نيكست ديسكشن على على جابر وانا لا مش هيك ولا ولا الاخر
ناس من لبناني وهناك 236 طبيب بالنسبه للفلسطينيين لكل 100000 21.5 طبيب وفقط 48.5 ممرض او ممرضه. معدل زيارات المرضى ايضا وفق تقرير الانار والصحي السنوي، معدل زيارات المرضى لعيادات الانار يوميا هو 159 مريض زائر تقريبا خلال ساعات محدده، مما يشكل ضغط هائل جدا على الطبيب وهذا يؤدي الى نوعيه الخدمه المقدمه من قبل الطبيب. طبعا نتيجه للظروف التي يعيشها الفلسطينيون في مخيمات خاصه تعرف المخيمات بامراض يعني بعينها وامراض مزمنه نتيجة لذلك حتى ان الامراض المزمنه في الوسط الفلسطيني بلغت حوالي 31 بالمئة في مجمل الامراض تشمل طبعا هذه الامراض انخفاضات الدم، الم في الظهر، الربو، مرض السكري، الروماتيزم، مشاكل في القلب وغيرها وكلها ناتجه عن الظروف التي يعيشها الفلسطينيون. وفق الارقام والاحصاءات ودراسات كثيره 87.7 من اللاجئين الفلسطينيين ليس لديهم اي تامين صحي اخر، مما يعني ان المؤسسات الصحيه خاصه التابعه للانارو تتحمل المسؤوليه الكبيره في هذا المجال، طبعا الانارو تطور ادائها خلال عام 2012 رفعت نسبه الاستشفاء من 40 الى 50%، لكن مع ذلك هناك حقيقه نقص كبير جدا اذ ان المبلغ المتبقي على اللاجئ الفلسطيني يعتبر مرهف ويعني مرتفع جدا. تتعاقد الأمر مع 22 مستشفى حكومي وخاص وأيضا مع مستشفيات الهلال الأحمر الفلسطيني، لكن مع ذلك مع هذا التعاقد ومع هذا التعاقد السنوي تواجه المرضى تعقيدات بيروقراطية للحصول على تحويل للمستشفيات وهي تعقيدات كثيرة جدا. 56% من اللاجئين الفلسطينيين القادرين على العمل فعليا لا يعملون لظروف كثيرة. معدلات البطالة مرتفعة. تواجه الفلسطينيين في لبنان مشكلة مضاعفة بالنسبة للعمل. فهم لا يجدون فرص للعمل ابتداء وان وجدوا طبعا بسبب الظروف القومية وان وجدوا ان فرص العمل لهم يعني لا تخولهم التمتع كأي عامل او اي موظف او اي اجير لبناني. الدكتور عزيز الخالدي قامت بنشر دراسة مهمة جدا اصدرتها جمعية اللجنة الاجتماعية فيها ارقام يعني مهمة جدا لصانع القرار سواء اللبناني او الدولي. الدراسة معلنة بمساهمة اللاجئين الفلسطينيين المقيمين في المخيمات والتجمعات في الاقتصاد اللبناني، على الرغم من هذا الواقع الذي يعيشه الفلسطينيون هناك ارقام كثيرة جدا خسرنا الكثير منها. مع كل ذلك تقول الدكتورة عزيزة الخالدي في دراستها ان الفلسطينيين مع هذا الوضع الهش الاقتصادي الذي يعانونه الا انهم يساهمون سنويا بما يعدل بمقدر 62 مليون دولار سنويا في السوق اللبناني وفي الاقتصاد اللبناني مع ما يعانونه من ظروف لانهم يقدمون سنويا 62 مليون دولار سنويا. طبعا النمط الاقتصادي للفلسطينيين في لبنان هو نمط استهلاكي وليس نمط انتاج ايضا هذه ميزه ربما ايجابيه للسوق الاقتصاديه اللبنانيه. الدراسه نفسها التي قامت بها الدكتور عزيز الخالدي وهي دراسه موضوعيه مهمه تقول إلى أن حتى الفلسطينيين المقيمين في الخارج ليس فقط الذين يعني يقيمون هنا في لبنان يساهمون مساهمة فعالة في الاقتصاد اللبناني بسبب ما يعني يعني يحولونه من تحويلات مالية إلى السوق اللبنانية لأولادهم بالنسبة للواقع التعليمي للفلسطينيين في لبنان أيضا هناك أرقام مهمة جدا ومطلقة 
طبعا الجهه الرئيسيه التي تقدم الخدمات التعليميه للفلسطينيين هي الانوربه يوجد في لبنان 68 مدرسه سته منها ثانويه يوجد فيها 32 الف طالب وطالبه طبعا هذا العدد خلال 10 سنوات تضاعف عام 2000 كان 39 الف طالب الان بلغ 32 الف طالب بمعنى ان هناك يعني ارقام تتراجع يذوب كثيرا جدا عدم رغبة اللاجئين الفلسطينيين للعلم هي ظروف اقتصادية وسياسية وأمنية متفاعلة جدا إلى بعض الحدود. طبعا خلال العشر سنوات الماضية الأنوربة قامت ببناء مدارس جيدة من حيث اللوجستيات وقامت بتجهيزها وترميمها بشكل حديث بدعم من الاتحاد الأوروبي بشكل خاص. مع كل ذلك إلا أن المستويات التعليمية خصوصا في المرحلة الابتدائية والمتوسطة لا زالت لا زالت تحتاج إلى دراسة وهي مقلقة. هناك مشكلة أخرى تواجه الطلاب الفلسطينيين الذين أنهوا بنجاح مرحلة الثانوية. كل عام تقريبا يعني ينجح ما بين 1100 إلى 1200 طالب فلسطيني ويريدون التوجه إلى الجامعات لاستكمال مشوارهم التعليمي. طبعا الأنوربة خلال العام الماضي 2011 قدمت حوالي بدعم من الاتحاد الأوروبي 80 منحة. عام 2012 تراجعت هذه المنح لتصل إلى 50 منحة. هناك جمعيات ومؤسسات ايضا تقدم منح جامعية للطلاب مثل جمعية توحيد شباب لبنان المعروفة بمؤسسة المرحوم رفعت النمل وصندوق الرئيس محمود عباس لكن مجمل هذه التقديمات للطلاب الفلسطينيين لا تتعدى ال 15% من اجمالي الطلاب الفلسطينيين الذين يحتاجون الى دعم لاستكمال مشوارهم الجامعي. بالنسبة للواقع السكني للمخيمات وهذا ايضا ارقام مقلقة وتحتاج إلى توقف. طبعا في المخيمات الفلسطينية يوجد حوالي 5000 منزل تحتاج لاتخاذ قرار عاجل ببنائها أو إعادة ترميمها. من 5000 منزل الأنيروا قدمت هذا العام والعام الذي يليه مشروع بدعم من الاتحاد الأوروبي لحوالي 730 منزل. أنا يقدم 15% فقط لما يحتاجه الفلسطينيون. طبعا المشكلة ليست مرتبطة فقط بعدد المنازل و والمحلات السكنيه المرتبطه بمساحه المخيم التي لا يمكن يعني القيام بمشاريع بناء تحتيه او او توسع الافق فيها، بمعنى ان هذه المشاريع على اهميتها وحاجه الفلسطينيين الملحه اليها لانها تبقى عاجز عن معالجه مشكله السكن المتفاقمه الى امام هناك مشكله تعاني منها المخيمات وهي مشكله الاموات يجب ان تكون واضحه وهي ان معظم المخيمات في الوقت الحالي تعاني من امتلاء المقابر. وعدم وجود مساحه اخرى لدفن موتى الجدد ما يضطر البعض او الكثير منهم الى فتح القبور القديمه والدفن فوقها مره اخرى او قد يضطر الى نقلها الى مسافات بعيده تحت عن مكان الدفن او قد يضطر الى دفع مبلغ مالي يعني مرتفع جدا يرهق ذوي الميت. الواقع البيئي وهو النقطه الاخيره طبعا الواقع البيئي للفلسطينيين خاصه في المخيمات الواقع ليس صحي بالمرة ونتيجة أن هذا الواقع البيئي هناك نتائج مرضية، نتائج نفسية، نتائج اقتصادية ونتائج اجتماعية كثيرة جدا، الواقع الصحي الواقع البيئي يشكل بيئة خصبة لانتشار الأمراض والأوبئة في المخيمات، فضلا عن الضغوط النفسية الهائلة التي تشكل هي ذاتها أرضية خصبة للمشاكل الاجتماعية، وليس في الأفق أي إمكانية لمعالجة هذه الأزمة البيئية في المخيمات. 
اخيرا هذه الارقام هذه الاحصاءات هي ملخص يمكن ان يختزل بزياره يمكن ان يقوم بها السيد فولك للمخيمات تختزل كل هذه الارقام وكل هذه التفاصيل وترسم صوره ماساويه بكل معنى الكلمه هذه الارقام هي فقط ملخص واقع بشكل متجرد لكن الصوره اكثر من ذلك بكثير شكرا شكرا سيدي استاذ سهيل نطور بدي ارجع ذكركم بالعشر دقائق لانه لازم نلزم فيها والا ما حنقدر ننهي هذا
Uh, one was about anemia, uh, blood disease caused by insufficient diet. That was quite successful. Now we're launching one on diabetes. Because of course we see this uh, increase in, in diabetes and, and, and other uh, illnesses uh, very closely connected to poverty. Uh, our health clinics, we've had this uh, three-year health reforms. Uh, one is that we have much more emphasis on the family and family health, uh, looking at the patients as a holistic unit. And also, it sounds very boring and administrative, but the, um, the appointment system has been changed, which means that it will be much more efficient uh, instead of coming and sitting waiting in the health clinics of UNRWA, maybe for a few hours, with the appointment system that would free the time and make it more efficient. The doctors and the nurses have more time with each patient. And also the beneficiaries don't need to spend uh, time waiting on a sort of standby system or a talk system. We also increased the number of hospitals that we have contracted with to 42 this year. Uh, but still, of course, we have many, many gaps, especially when it comes to life-threatening diseases. And that's why we have launched a few a couple of years ago this care program where we have a cooperation with the private sector. Um, uh, and we're really hoping that the private sector will uh, step forward and, and be more supportive because of course the needs are there and increasingly so. So I have I wrote a few brochures on that. Um, the living conditions, very, very dire. And of course, the pressure is now increasing with this influx of, of the Palestinians from Syria and other refugees. Um, we identified that 5,000 shelters across the different camps are in uh, uh, desperate need of uh, shelter rehabilitation. And thanks to the EU, we've been managing to uh, upgrade or sort of uh, renovate those shelters, uh, 1,000 of them, but it's still, of course, 4,000 remaining. Uh, we are doing our utmost to identify uh, some underused buildings so we can upgrade them for shelters to the newly arriving Palestinian refugees from Syria. Because, of course, one huge demand for the summer is to make sure that the schools are left alone and not occupied and turned into temporary conditions. So uh, I was mentioning some of those health reforms and the family health approach and the appointment system and more hospitals and then the care program because of course we have cancer cases and liver transplants etc that we cannot we can only fund a small part of that. Um, let me also say a few things about the education reforms that we're working on. But it's, a big, it's a brilliant, a big and challenging project. Um, because of course, uh, we, today we have only about 6% of the Palestinians uh, that have a university degree. And one obvious explanation is, of course, is the access is very limited because there are so few there are a number of scholarships. This year, 75 scholarships. But of course, there, there are, the needs are much more than that. But another obvious reason is, of course, the limited access to the job market. 
And sometimes I hear this approach that uh, we should uh, uh, have advocacy for, for increased access to job market. I think that's too modest approach. We should really talk about this human right and right to work rather than some sort of piecemeal approach to the right of work. We should be settled for that, I don't think, when we talk in terms, uh, when we now talk about the uh, Palestinians here in this country. There have been some modest uh, progress, still very modest, and only when we're working closely with ILO, uh, which is also, and, and some uh, Palestinian NGOs, uh, which are very, very active. And despite the political climate, I, when I arrived, I was advised don't try to do anything because it's such an election mood in Lebanon. But I think there's never the right time. They always have to push for, for, for these human rights, whether it's a transitional government, a pre-election mood, or, or a caretaker government here. Um, so those were some very quick reflections on the, uh, on the sort of, uh, education and health and living conditions. When it comes to, um, we have these employment centers, I, maybe you're all aware about that, uh, training in job seeking and linking together employers and employees and also career guidance for students. So what are the main challenges? Well, there are many, but of course we are facing two emergencies. We have the emergency without any time frame whatsoever with the Palestinian refugees from Syria. We do not know if we talk about months or years as, as we see this, um, this influx of the humanitarian emergency. We calculate, we think, our estimates is that we will have 80,000 Palestinian refugees from Syria at the end of the year. Um, so, uh, of course, um, funding and, and uh, resource mobilization takes an enormous amount of time. Because this, uh, this of course, we need to keep try to sort of meet the basic needs. We wish we could do much more, uh, but that is not the case. Uh, it all depends on, on the funding. Uh, so uh, it's very much focused on non-food items and cash distributions on an irregular basis because we cannot guarantee on a monthly basis. Uh, so, so th that is one of the humanitarian uh, crises and, and growing, of course, in numbers. And I think we all have to work on increasing awareness because of, it's such a huge humanitarian crisis uh, as a result of what's happening in, in Syria. But the effects and the sort of Palestinian aspects is a bit below the radar. It's a bit falling uh, in the shadow of, of all the other aspects. So I think we all have a sort of um, mission here to really try to sort of increase the profile of the Palestinian dimension of the refugee crisis from Syria now. Uh, and it's interesting to see, so far, the Palestinian numbers coming from Syria tend to be about 10% of the total influx of Syrian Syrians as we as we discuss it. So if it's uh, uh, just around 40,000 uh, Palestinian national, and then we talk about 430,000 all in all Syrian Syrians uh, that are now registered here in Lebanon. Um, another emergency that we have, which is almost six years old, uh, but uh, still is very much there, and it was touched upon uh, by Mahmoud Hanafi, that, that is, of course, the uh, Nile Barrage. In May, June, or early June, there will be another 600 families, displaced families, that, that are able to return. But 
that means that it's only about 20% of the total displaced population in Nuremberg have been able to return, which means that we have 80% 80 of the 27,000 displaced are still um, without uh, sort of proper home or, or without being able to go back. So this we're also trying, of course, to learn. This is very important that the, this, the Nile Barrage, uh, is not sort of forgotten as we did with the other emergency uh, as a result of, of the situation in, in Syria. Um, while having these, juggling these emergencies and trying to meet the needs as much as we possibly can, we of course have to be very careful and try to do our utmost to not only maintain the level of service, but trying to also promote the various reforms going on when it comes to especially the education, I mean being one of the core services. Uh, for us to juggle the emergencies, but while protecting them and doing what we can to promote the, the core services and, and also move ahead with, with the, the reforms that we have started. But it's going to be challenging, but we're certainly going to do our utmost. And, and I look forward to working very, very closely with you all around the table to, to sort of do whatever we can for the beneficiaries because, I mean, the, the needs are increasing by the day. Thank you very much. And sorry, I'm, I'm able to, to stay Thank you. longer. Thank you. Uh, well, from our work, I think the first level was done in nineteen fifty two by the that the land 
is not a property, despite that there is a common agreement between UNRWA and the Lebanese government to rent the land for camps. They gathered us in the camps and there was a rent at work. But property of the land is not given. So there was in the application by the local police no way to construct the first floor or second floor or third floor in the same place. It was obligatory to have it, the roof in zinc. The application of the de facto situation was a complete discrimination of the rights of the Palestinians as a human being without confirming it by saying there is no law to discriminate against the Palestinians. No. In the Lebanese law, only we were mentioned three times, and the first time is to register us, the second time, apparently, to give us the right of work, the second and third time, the right of uh, social partially the social uh, So the application is the explanation of the discrimination against the Palestinians. I'm not going to the political atmosphere of this, but I want to say that there is in all these rights written in this paper a lot of problems. If it's in the right of employment, we have now a law by eleven one two nine which stipulates about the Palestinians to go to right, and they have But in the interpretation, in the application of the ministry, until now it's not applied. Will never be applied in the situation of the act. Nor because there are lacks in the interpretation, nor because also the political will of the ministers to apply their laws. Who can oblige a ministry of labor to apply the whole labor of Palestinians after the promulgation from the public. I think uh, this is not only problematic, the situation of the Palestinians, but the, how politically they deal with the rights of the Palestinians. The right of movement, free movement. If you say for any Palestinian, can you move from the here to the camp of Baalbek, you say yes. But in the process of the time, it wasn't like a Palestinian from Beirut camp, if he wanted to visit his son in a southern Rashidiyya camp, he had to get the permission from the security, from the intelligence services of the law. Otherwise, he would be imprisoned under uh, the pretext that he is present in an atmosphere, in an area which is forbidden to go without the permission. Now, no one is talking about it, but internally, in the administration of the security is static system. So a balance of force, if it's not Palestinians and the Lebanese surrounding the Palestinians, obliging the government not to interpret those negative things who are still no to the construction, we are constructing the camps, no to the employment, we are employed in the society with no permit of work because we're not going to wait so the society is working. So if you ask, apparently there are some achievements of the Palestinians, but this is de facto achievements. It's not legalized. What we want when we speak about all these things is to legalize. First, second, we want also the international arena to work with us on their human and adapted UNRWA is not giving the needed, in, in their capacity, the needed things to the Palestinians. When 
the responsible woman was speaking, she escaped, I consider it, escaped to talk about the lamentable situation of the Palestinians in Syria. What about the situation of the Palestinians in Lebanon? The health care in Lebanon is not giving. They adopted a preventive care. They didn't go to the core of the problems of the health care of the Palestinians. We need surgery care. We need operational care. We need to offer the medicaments of high prices in Lebanon, which is so expensive and exhausting our families. And a lot of people from the illnesses, etc., are dying because they are not getting this under the same ordinary pretext shortage of fund for the honorable uh, budget. I think they escape because if they don't pro develop the things about with in, in continuity with the Palestinian uh, community, to have a, an official uh, hospital enough to afford the uh, needed things, especially in the main office, we can speak about healthcare. It's an apparent healthcare, and so on with everything. So, Thank you. Thank you. 